0: We are two friends trying to gain perspective on the remarkable world around us. I'm Jet Jones. I'm Mackenzie DeMaio. And this is Friends Fascinated. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to review and subscribe. This episode, we are going to do a deep dive into furries.
1: Researching furries was super interesting for me because I would say I, I didn't know much about it other than what I guess the media portrays or mainly that. Yeah. And so... Uh, I would say that we were both pretty surprised by the misinformation that the media spreads about furries. Yes. So this topic was actually suggested to us by a friend. Uh, our Technically our first email submission <laughs> for <laughs> a topic. <laughs> um, so it was suggested by our friend Dustin. So he also is the DM for a podcast called D20-somethings, which I also uh, am a part of. So thank you Dustin for the submission. We're super excited to cover this and we definitely have learned a lot. So I would say the probably the best definition I found for fur furries was from psychology today and it said put simply furries are fans in the same way that star trek fans are fans of star trek and sports fans are fans of sports furries are fans of the media that features anthropomorphic animals that is animals who walk talk and do other human things
0: yes and to get us started with this i felt like it was necessary to kind of understand the jargon and um, some of the definitions behind this fandom so that we can more openly discuss them today because there's a whole dialogue out there that um, if you're not a part of the furry community could be a little bit hard to understand so i'm going to dive in so to start out um, if you're not like us with nerdy husbands (laughs) you may not even know what a fandom is Um, a fandom is the state or condition of being a fan of someone or something or it's a group of fans of a particular person, team, fictional series, um, regarded collectively as a community or subculture.
1: Yeah. So, for example, I would say your husband is a Star Wars fandom Member. participant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my husband is a fan of, like,
0: Pokemon. the
1: D&D and, like, Pokemon fandoms. Yes.
0: Yes. So we're, we were familiar with at least that much. And then, so to take it from there, once we know that definition, we can talk about the furdum or furrydom, which is basically the fandom of being a furry. So, and I will
1: want to shout out that I love the puns yes. of the furry
0: community. <laughs> there are so many ways you can sneak in the word fur to words. It's great. Yep. And then a word that Mackenzie has already mentioned is anthropomorphic, and it's strange. The first time I ever heard this word, it like burned into my brain and has always been one of my favorite words is because I think humans always do this with everything. So I learned this word in art school and it's basically about how even if you see like a squiggle on a page and it looks kind of like a face, you're going to automatically assume it's a face or it's more... personified then you see
1: faces and things that aren't faces. Yes. Or
0: so let's say you were looking at a piece of furniture and you were told to describe who or what would like sit in it and Hmm. what the personality traits of that chair could be. You could probably do it. And it's just kind of That's an art thing? Um it's just a thing thing. So it's 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 a term. So anthropomorphic. I didn't learn that in school. (laughs) Yeah, it's something that everyone does. Okay. In all sorts of ways, but it's used a lot in the furry community, obviously, because We're talking about anthro. That word means human, and morphic, I think, just means changing into or relating it to warping. Yeah, that sort of thing. So, in this context, they're anthropomorphizing animals. Mm -hmm. So, they're making. Making So, if you saw like a polar bear, you could probably guess that they're like going to be maybe an old. Uh, they move he's a little slight. yeah, yeah. kind of lumbering and, so that sort of thing so okay. you kind of are getting an idea of what anthropomorphic means It's just humanizing something kind of insinuating characteristics mm-hmm. and visuals that could be re- related to something or someone mm-hmm. um, to humanize it
1: Well, and something that also was from Psychology Today was a part that said, At first glance, it seems like anthropomorphic animals are a bizarre thing to be a fan of. That is, until you realize that most of North Americans today grew up watching things like Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny cartoons, and reading books like The Tale of Peter Rabbit and Charlotte's Web. Exactly. And continue this proud tradition by taking our children to see films like Zootopia. Sure, the intended audience of these may be children, but you could say the same thing about Star Wars and Harry Potter. Yeah. But that does not dissuade the millions of fans of those series.
0: Yeah. And something I did want to touch on that I'll get into now, I suppose, since we're talking about fandoms and those sorts of things, is I think we should address kind of early on that we are aware of the fact of the very sexual nature and connotations that there Mm -hmm. is with this fandom of furries and it's because in popular culture a lot of the time furries are portrayed as like sexual deviants basically Mm -hmm. only expressing their sexuality through wearing furry suits and being weird or something (laughs) well
1: and a lot of the things that i saw were people that did research were surprised how little sex had to do with it Mm -hmm. but and one thing that kind of made sense to me was that the idea of what do a group of people dressed in for costumes do together and yeah. it's like that doesn't mean they do like sex Just stuff sex because stuff. So, it's like any other convention or exactly. group of fans they yep. talk about and participate in things they're interested in mm-hmm. but for some reason this particular fandom has been associated with sex stuff
0: yeah so if you went to like comic-con and you were there to see, like, Trekkies and Star Wars mm-hmm. fans and all the other fandoms that are out there. You're not going to Comic-Con thinking, look at all these sexual deviants <laughs> like like furries got. Because yeah. I think, and I didn't get too deep into the research behind where exactly furries have shown up in popular culture. But most of the time, and I know for a fact I've seen it in, like, comedy movies and other things where there's been, like, furries being sexualized as kind of like a joke that they're like Mm -hmm. these weirdos basically but well
1: i mean part of society as a rule is that like especially humor and comedy is the idea of making fun of people that are different than you and you don't understand and so it's one of those things that become kind of a joke which isn't great but it's just kind of society at this point but i mean it's It's like like any other cosplay really it is it's the low-hanging fruit but it's just like cosplay Yeah, which I guess people also make sexualize, sexualize, but (laughs) yeah.
0: yeah. So and something to address here is we can all admit humans are sexual creatures for Mm -hmm. the most part, and that does take up a lot of our media and a lot of. um, That's the hot goss. Yeah, that's what we're interested in to some regard. (laughs) If you're interested, it perks our ears. (laughs) Yes, exactly, and so that's why there's a draw to it in the media. So. Anyway, it's not, there's no need to be creeped out by it. I mean, just like anything with anybody in any subgroup or any human being, there's going to be parts of it where there's people who show their sexual interest in those sorts of things. So Mm -hmm. we're not denying that it exists. We've definitely seen a bunch out there.
1: There are sexualizations for literally everything on the planet. (laughs) So that's not an exception. Yes.
0: And there is, so just to clarify, I think something that's important to say is that you saw a statistic, right, about the what I knew as bestiality, but there was another word for it.
1: Oh, yes. So the statistic that I saw was about bestiality, also known as zoophilia, and it's people that Want to or do have sex with animals, uh, and it said that uh, in a this is an older study, but a survey that said that only about two percent of furry respondents stating any interest in zoophilia. Mm-hmm. So a very 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 low percent. Yeah, like it hardly counts because exactly. if you, if, that's probably I the if you, normal standard exactly for society. If, honestly, if
0: you pull just any any old person. Um, and so basically everything I've seen is that no being a furry is not just a sexual fetish um but there is i would say what i've seen the most is they're more of a kind of creative type of folks where they like the artwork and the comics and media and cartoons behind it and a lot of the pages that i've seen a lot of people who are interested in furries Mm-hmm. Um, tend to be really good artists and like to draw and like think yeah. of all these personalities. So. And
1: one thing I saw about the demographic as well was that it, so it is predominantly white males in their teens and mid-20s. And so it said that for the most part, they represent what you would expect to find of a typical geek or nerd subculture. Mm-hmm. They have above average school performance, nearly half are college students, and they're interested in things like computers and science and passion for video games, science fiction, fantasy, and anime. Yep. Another thing that was interesting, it said that less typical, however, is the fandom's LGBTQ demographic. Oh, yeah. Furries are seven times more likely than the general population to identify as transgender and about five times more likely to identify as non hetero sexual mm-hmm. so given this it basically explains that it should come as no surprise that the furry fandom is a community defined in no small part by its inclusivity
0: yep yeah so i'll dive into some more of the definitions so a cub in the furry world is a furry under the age of 16 and a baby fur is someone interested in age play or young childlike characteristics so mm. i i and something we've learned, again, along the way through all of our research is that furries can express themselves in any age range. So, like, they're creating a, and here's another definition for you, a fursona. It's the personality or character that they are creating mm-hmm. to exemplify either in their artwork of who they are or through their furry costume. Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds like you, so let's say... Me. I'm a 24-year-old white female heterosexual. Well, I could change all of that in my fursona Mm -hmm. and be a two-year-old puppy who is red and likes males and females Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever. So you could do anything you wanted and be accepted as far as like what you create as your fursona. Mm
1: -hmm. And this like to me mostly reminded me of – my experience with D&D which is a role playing game mm-hmm. and so my husband and a lot of his friends are interested in D&D and so with that you create a character and you choose things like that it can be any age any gender any race anything and then you choose their personality traits and it could be like i've known people that they're the nicest people in the world but they play a super evil character and mm-hmm. just like things like that it has nothing to do with I mean, it could have to do with who they are, but it might not. Mm-hmm. One thing that was interesting, though, is that I saw that furries, for the most part, only create one fursona, yeah. which is different from other role-playing that I'm familiar with, where they might create switch new characters up. and switch it up and, yeah. But for the fursonas, it's typically they have
0: one and that's their It's a fursona. one-to-one ratio. Yeah. It's like if you're going to be a furry, you, are, you identify as mm-hmm. one furry. Yeah, so
1: not very many people have more than one.
0: Yep. Yeah, in fact, to get a lot of these definitions, I actually started out on Solar Saber's YouTube channel, and I was actually able to talk to her a little bit over Instagram, and she helped me get a little bit more bearings into the community before my research really started. And the thing that she taught me about is that she started out with different personas and then develop them and change them once she learned more about the community and wanted to make her character more representative and more dynamic and deeper I suppose she said she started out with just kind of a simple character that wasn't too creative and then once she learned more about the community and what she wanted to represent herself as it was easier to pick um, her final persona. So it sounds like what, like what you said, there's only one character, but that doesn't mean they can't maybe throw out the old and mm-hmm. bring in the new and kind of, um, changes, develop. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense that it would develop over time, just like a normal, I mean, a person does. Mm-hmm. And here's a, this was a very interesting definition or type of thing. Milfers. Which uh, sounds like milf, which sounds Okay. Scary. That's what I thought. Um, current or past members of the military. Oh, so military
1: furs? Yeah, milfurs. Just milfurs. (laughs) That does sound. They might want
0: to rethink that one a little bit.
1: (laughs) I'm sure spelled out. It's not as it's It's not as easy. M I L F
0: -U U R S, milfurs. So yeah, it should be like militifers or something Mm, maybe this one is the one exception where they didn't need to sneak fur into it
1: (laughs) (laughs) furrataries yeah wait
0: but veterans vertrans Vertrans, something like that Uh, anyway so past members of the military um and then actually something else that was kind of interesting was there are two different types of legs Oh. that you can have one called uh plantigrade and one called digitigrade where digitigrade are legs that have animalistic bends in them so you know how when a dog oh, like is a standing? dog's back feet yeah so when they're creating their fursuits for their furry characters they have to like change the mechanics of the legs a little bit that even though when you are a human and you're wearing your costume and you're standing mm-hmm. up straight and your legs are perfectly straight, your legs still look like they're bent in that dog-like interesting. fashion. Interesting. I wonder
1: if that would be harder to walk in, or if it's built in such a way that I think it's it just
0: padding like. and different joints. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's yeah, interesting. So humans are plantigrade and animals are digitigrade. Okay. So it was kind of interesting. That Again, is interesting. My source was Solar Sabers YouTube video. Um, about the jargon on furries, <laughs> um, and then feral—that is the type of furry that is four-legged, so they don't ever stand up on two legs. So, That's commitment. Yeah, seriously. So, but I can imagine also, as we've talked about before, just being a furry doesn't mean you have a fur suit. That's true. Um, so their four-legged animal furry persona that they have could just be one on all fours, which I think I've seen images of.
1: Yeah, and one thing I saw about that, it said fursuits range from design features simple construction resembling sports mascots to those that are more sophisticated that have features like moving jaw mechanisms animatronic parts and prosthetic makeup and other features it said that fursuits range in price from $500 for mascot-like designs up to $10,000 for yep. a model incorporating animatronics while about 80% of furries do not own a full fursuit often citing their expensive cost as the decisive factor a majority of them hold positive feelings towards fursuiters and the conventions in which they participate some fans may also wear partial suits consisting simply of ear and a tail or a head, paws, and a tail.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that, I think, in imagery. Um, and then a gray muzzle is a furry over the age of 30. Oh. And as I think you already touched on the demographics, most mm-hmm. people are like 24 to like 27-ish. Yeah. Um. So I guess they're the older demographic. A scaly is a furry that is like a lizard or a dragon or a snake something that doesn't have fur but is also a furry (laughs) part of the furry community but doesn't have fur so they're called a scaly within (laughs) the community um and then apparently the maw m-a-w is the furry's mouth
1: oh interesting yeah uh and then uh for the numbers for the age uh, it says among a 2016 study findings were that average adult furries are between the age of 23 and 27 Mm -hmm. more than 75 percent of furries reported being 25 or younger and 88 percent of adult furries
0: are 30 or younger Hmm. so only 12 percent are older than 30. yeah and i saw a factoid earlier that only three percent of furries have children oh interesting so i i think that fits the demographic though if you think about it because i think As we've mentioned, a lot of furries are younger white males predominantly Mm -hmm. with usually college educations. And I think a lot of like childbearing can be um, a little bit delayed if you have a college Mm -hmm. education and.
1: Well, uh, yeah, if you because a lot of people get married after college, not us, but (laughs) a lot of people. Uh, So, yeah, I would say if people go to college and then get married after and then have kids, they're easily in their mid to late 20s. And if most of them are under
0: 25, that makes sense. Yeah, it aligns. So I guess what I'm trying to clarify with that is, although we're saying statistics, it can sound easily like generalizations of a type of community when in reality it's not that much different than if we just plucked out a subgroup out of our own regular old non-furry community and gave them a poll on Mm -hmm. their life. Um, What's next? So at um, conventions, which is a huge part of the culture, there is areas called the Headless Lounge. Oh. And that's a place where... <laughs> where you take off your head yet. and breathe, I bet. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So if you've seen just like a regular school mascot, usually they're covered in fur and padding and whatever plastic and pads probably it takes. hot. Exactly. So it's a place that they go where they can remove part of their costume to just cool down and hang out. And probably <laughs> I wonder
1: if furry conventions are at like 60 degrees or something <laughs> They would have to compensate to be. for that.
0: And I bet some of the more expensive suits have like fans inside of them to keep Ooh, them breathing. Fancy. Yeah. Or
1: like, yeah, they're probably breathable. Like, well, well I think they all have mouth holes breathable.
0: and eye holes and whatever. yeah, I mean, they got to see. Yeah. So we could take a second to talk about the conventions in general.
1: Yeah, I actually have just some general history we can look
0: at. Go for it.
1: According to the fandom historian Fred Patton, the concept of furry originated at a science fiction convention in 1980, which I'll say is older than I expected. I Mm -hmm. thought it was more recent than that. Yeah. But I guess maybe it's just been more talked about recently, Um, but it says that that's when a character drawing started a discussion of anthropomorphic characters in science fiction novels. This led to the formation of a discussion group that met at science fiction conventions and comic conventions. This was when a standard name for the genre became popular in the mid-90s when it was defined as the organized appreciation and dissemination of art and prose regarding furries or fictional mammalian anthropomorphic characters. So, Many fans consider the furry fandom to be much earlier than that, though, with fictional works such as Kimba the White Lion, released in 1965, as well as Disney's Robin Hood, which was one that I watched a ton as a kid. Those are just often cited as examples. Uh, Internet news group discussions in the 1990s created some separation between the fans of funny animal characters and furry characters, meant to avoid the baggage that was associated with the term furry. By 1989, there was a sufficient interest to stage the first furry convention, which was called Conference Zero, (laughs) with fur in the name, which I appreciated, and was held in the Holiday Inn in Bristol Plaza in Costa Mesa, California. (laughs) The next decade, the internet became accessible to the general public and became the most popular means
0: for furry fans to socialize. It's kind of crazy in that regard where it seems like in all of our research, the internet has changed so much and we know this but mm-hmm. like it's just crazy to think of how most of our lives have been with the internet being yeah. accessible in our homes at our fingertips at school and it was how we learned
1: mm-hmm. well we are the age where elementary school we didn't have computers like mm-hmm. our parents didn't have cell phones yet and then middle school it our took parents off. had cell phones yeah. we were using computers to play games it was like
0: affordable for
1: yeah So we are very much like, and I've seen this compared where it's always like 90s kid nostalgia and all this, but Mm -hmm. like we're the generation where we knew what it was like before the internet and before all the technology and after. Yeah. And so basically halfway through our childhood, time sped up and like technology took off. And so we have a very interesting perspective.
0: Yeah. And so we were talking about this in our Santa Claus episode where um, we were talking about if your child doesn't believe in santa claus now it could be because of the internet because when we were in elementary school and as we discovered Mackenzie uh didn't believe in santa ever and i grew up very late (laughs) not finding out santa was not real until i was like 11 or whatever (laughs) old yeah but now kids could just like google it and figure it out and find some guy on the internet on youtube being like listen kids he's not real type of thing. <laughs> like a
1: 12 year old being like oh my gosh guess what i just learned yeah. and like that's
0: the new like kids youtube video. trend trend vi- yeah. yeah so you never know so it's crazy that access to all of this information and communities and stuff can just like blow up with the internet like tenfold which you gotta wonder is it good is it bad i guess it depends on the group right yeah it does so kind of interesting. Um, another little fact about conventions I found um, on furrycons.com. Um, there's a whole calendar and list of furry conventions that you can go to. So if you're listening because you are a furry or maybe you're interested in this lifestyle or hobby, I suppose, um, you could attend almost, it looked like about four per month in the usa wow. alone so there's quite a few mm-hmm. so i would look um i bet there's something at least in a drivable distance to where you are in the yeah US, i mean cause... if there's
1: 200 a year then there's got to be something close to you if you're interested exactly one thing i thought was interesting that it said um a survey this is an older survey it was from 2007 but it suggested that when compared with non-furry control groups a high proportion of Of those that self-identify as furries liked cartoons a great deal as children and recalled watching them significantly more often, as well as being more likely to enjoy works of science fiction than those outside the community. So, I I mean, it would make sense that people
0: would have those interests at a young age. Mm -hmm. And something Mackenzie and I kind of got into talking about before we were recording was that kind of this, why would someone choose to do the furry lifestyle or furry as a hobby and i guess i'll mention this quick definition first a lifestyler is a furry who practices full-time furry like they wear their suit most days Mm -hmm. when they're talking to people they're trying to talk to only furries online and it's probably part of their
1: job yeah or like they make money doing it in some way or another
0: yes so it's how they live lifestylers. But as we mentioned, there's a range. So it can just be like a fandom, someone who's interested, may not even own a fursuit, but likes the community, all the way to people who like it is all they do. So something that I saw some parallels with were things like um, body dysmorphic disorder, and also gender incongruence or gender um, dysmorphia so and I get that that's kind of a stretch to relate these but I did see some psychological overlap in trying to reach out beyond our society to find other communities that seem more comfortable to um, express who you truly feel like you are and so in a lot of ways like someone who is transgender they may not feel comfortable with society's acceptance of gender and how you can physically or mentally represent your gender outwardly in the same way furries might be running to this community to find a safe place to express a different part of who they are where they feel like it's more accepted because as we've already talked about although it is a pretty narrowed down cohort of people who are practicing furries as we mentioned most of them are white males in their mid-20s although that is mainly what it is, the whole point of this culture and something that they talk about is that anyone can be accepted. And I talked Mm -hmm. about how there can be cubs and there can be um, gray muzzles, which are people who are older or younger who want to be a part of the community Mm -hmm. or they accept all different types of animals and even subgroups and subcultures within the furry community like bronies who are... Um, people who really like the My Little Pony series and express that however they do. And um, that includes dressing up in a fursuit or costumes as a My Little Pony character being anthropomorphized to be a part of the community. My point being, although the cohort is small, they do accept a large variety of whatever you want to be and whoever you want to be. And I could imagine, especially in our society today where it seems like people are seeking out people who they disagree with just to argue with them online in this case furries are seeking a community where they feel safe to Mm -hmm. express themselves however they feel they need to at that time so as you mentioned their fursona could be totally different than who they are but it's something that they need to express and practice and just enjoy Mm -hmm. being a little bit different and being accepted for being different and I can imagine that feels welcoming and a lot more you know inviting than our society today where maybe if you're secretly a furry and your (laughs) family doesn't accept that you can still go online and find a community that does accept you and rather than like going and telling your parents hey mom I'm a furry and her being like what the frick that's really creepy because all I've seen is what's in pop culture and you're Mm -hmm. a sex deviant and I'm worried for you and what does this mean for you instead you could just kind of have some fun and have a character and find a community and enjoy your life that way
1: (laughs) yeah and I saw that out of 38% of people that they did survey it described that their interests in the furry fandom were predominantly as a route to socialize with others who share a common interest in anthropomorphic art and costumes Mm -hmm. so it's really just like hey We both like this thing. And that's how most people find their tribe anyway. It's just Mm -hmm. people that have common interests. And one thing, kind of touching on what you were saying earlier, um, I did actually have some statistics that some furries identify as partially non-human or they don't feel fully human. Mm -hmm. And so it said 35% say they do not feel 100% human Mm -hmm. compared with 7% of non-furries so it is more common but that's still like less than half yeah and And, that
0: kind of ties back to what I was saying about body dysmorphia mm -hmm. or maybe seeing yourself as other than human and going outwardly with it and practicing it might be a form of catharsis to the struggles you're having Mm -hmm. with your the body that you're in
1: and so that's roughly a third and but there is another third that said they would be zero percent human if they could Hmm. Which I thought was interesting. It's compared with ten percent of non furries. So still ten percent of people yeah. would be non human <laughs> if they could, which I thought was interesting.
0: Well yeah. I mean the cat life seems pretty nice to me. I would <laughs> love to be a cat. <laughs> Sleep, eat, repeat, be fed, scratch pet. things. Yeah. Yep. Sounds nice. Sounds great. Um, another definition that I have is something called breaking the magic. And that's when you show your human skin or body while wearing parts of your fursuit.
1: So like the headless room?
0: Yes. Yes. You're breaking the magic of your furry fursona.
1: And as far as communities, there are a lot of online communities because that's a large part of how these people found each other. And so the longest running online furry role-playing environment is called Furry Muck. And it was established in 1990. So it's been going for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of different types of online communities there's things where you can sell things that are in the furry fandom where you can so like social networking sites specifically for furries we found a dating site yep, called like furrymate.com <laughs> or something <laughs> there's everything from like role-playing like kind of actiony games sort of like those reminded me more of D D or just like non-action related so just like live in life as a furry kind of thing mm-hmm. so there's tons of things available online depending on your interest yeah and a lot of
0: those websites yes are porn sites and and those do exist yes um a term that we learned while doing some research is um yiff or yiffing which apparently is the word for furry sex and apparently yiff is the sound a fox makes when they're done having sex was that something like that yeah um and so that's where that term came from so that's that <laughs>
1: so there are of course adult sites and adult yes. versions of this but again with literally anything like there's yep. also like Harry Potter erotic sites and yeah. stuff like that Fan so <laughs> exactly so that again that's not specific to this fandom yep so i um, talking a little bit more about conventions. A furry convention is, I mean, I mean, we touched on this, but it's a place that fans get together. They can buy and sell artwork, participate in workshops, wear costumes, and socialize. The world's largest furry convention is called Anthrocon, with more than 5,800 and some participants. And that's held annually in Pittsburgh in June. And it was estimated to have generated approximately $3 million in Pittsburgh's economy in 2008. Holy crap. And that was over 10 years ago so it's probably way bigger now
0: and i bet the industry for like making fursuits is so good like yeah if people people are literally spending
1: thousands of dollars like that's a huge economy Hmm. and then there's another convention called further confusion held in san jose each january and that closely follows anthrocon to scale and attendance and i thought this was cool uh they have raised four hundred and seventy thousand dollars for conventions for charity Hmm. from the years 2000 to 2009. So I'm guessing that's a much larger number now. But yeah, they donate a bunch of their profit to charity, which is super cool. That's awesome. Um, As we mentioned, the conference was the first one, but it's no longer held. So they have Califur, which has replaced it, and that's (laughs) now the Southern California Conference for Furries or Convention. We need to really pronunciate our fours.
0: (laughs) I know. It's hard to (laughs) emphasize that it's the fur. (laughs) -fur conference
1: four furries. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, a University of California survey suggested that about 40% of furries have attended conferences at least once. So not everyone goes to conferences, but it seems like a pretty large number go to conventions. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like Comic-Con or anything else. Like I know tons of people that have gone to Comic-Con and they either love comics in those fandoms or have some interest. So, I mean, just with anything... It's varying levels of interest um so again this is an older quote but i i liked what it had to say a reporter that attended anthrocon in 2006 noted that uh and this is a quote despite their wild image from vanity fair mtv and csi furry conventions aren't about kinky sex between weirdos gussied up in foxy costumes <laughs> Um, She said that conference attendees were not having sex more than the rest of us and that the furry convention was about people talking, drawing animals, and comic book characters and sketchbooks. So it's pretty common that it's just a misconception of what people do and why they're there. And again, they're not having sex more than the rest of us. We just think that maybe their sex lives are different and therefore that's all they care about and that's not true. Uh, Dr. Samuel Conway the CEO of Anthrocon said that for the most part people give us curious stares but they're good natured curious stares. We're here to have fun. People have fun having us here. Everybody wins. So again people can just be themselves and do what they want and they're not hurting anyone
0: (laughs) and everyone can just shut up about their opinions. Yeah and I was (laughs) I was trying to picture it. I'm like okay. So let's say I was walking with a kid down the street and my kid <laughs> ran up to a furry and like gave him a high five or whatever because it's like a cool looking animal thing. Yeah. How is that any different than Disneyland?
1: I'm just see, saying. <laughs> seriously. Like you take kids to Disneyland to see people dressed up in character costumes. Yeah. The only difference is
0: you plan to do it. And, mm. But you're paying hundreds of dollars to yeah. do it. Like, And they probably have the same likelihood of being a sexual deviant as That's a furry true. would be. So true. I don't know. We should stop with the the stigma probably uh
1: (laughs) but yeah so it's no big deal like we went to a live episode of a podcast Mm -hmm. at one point and people were there in cosplay and like we went to a restaurant and there were people in cosplay for like elf costumes
0: and all Mm -hmm. these things
1: and yeah they might get a like a double take or like a long stare or something but at the end of the day who cares yeah seriously if anything, I think kids find it more fun. Yeah. I did see that most popular fursana species
0: include wolves, foxes, dogs, large felines, and dragons. And there's also hybrids too. Oh. um, So that's mixing two species. I've even seen some as like obscure as half like panda bear, half killer whale because they're like Whoa. the same color. I can't even
1: fathom that. Yeah.
0: It was like a bear with like a fish tail and like a <laughs> dorsal fin kind of interesting. But again, like I said, it's a pretty wide variety of who or what or what age or whatever you want to be to be in the furry community. It's like you have to like the art and maybe you want a fur suit someday. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so one thing I didn't realize this had its own term, but Obviously, the common misconception stems from the mistaken belief that furries are not fans, but rather are people who believe themselves to be, in whole or in part, animals. Mm -hmm. In actuality, this definition better reflects a group known as Therians. Wait, what? Yeah, so there's a whole thing that is people who actually believe they're animals. And so Therians' sense of self include non-human animals. For example, the spirit of a wolf trapped in a human's body. The vast majority of furries feel fully human and have no desire to become non-human animals. They simply enjoy the media. So I looked this up, and the first thing that came up was from Urban Dictionary, and it says a Therian is someone who identifies as non-human animal, either spiritually or physically. Therian is short for Therianthropy or Therianthrope. Theri meaning animal and anthro meaning man. Therians can have shifts, but not all do. All Therians understand they cannot physically shift and are not physically an animal they know they are physically human so it seems like maybe just a slightly more extreme version of this i think or- i
0: saw one of these on my strange addiction really where a guy was like convinced he was a wolf and oh. so he would just kind of yeah i mean very i mean i'm just gonna say very creepily run on all fours a lot which any human running on all fours is just if someone creepy. was
1: sprinting at me on all fours like i'd run and scream like it's <laughs> it would just be confusing and a little bit traumatic yeah and howling a lot
0: and yeah those sorts of things so.
1: yeah that would be a little bit unsettling yeah um one last thing that i saw that was kind of again like a lot of this circles back to what we've talked about it says many furries describe the fandom as one of the first places they felt they could belong something that needs to be contextualized with the fact that furries are about 50 percent more likely than the average person to report having been bullied during childhood for most furries, the fandom is about more than just indulging in a childlike fantasy every once in a while. It's about forging lifelong friendships and building social support network in a
0: community who will not judge them for having unconventional interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's similar to... I mean, I think there's a lot of escapism within that, right? Because if you think about why people fall into certain subcultures or fandoms, it's to escape our reality and our Mm -hmm. world a little bit i mean that's
1: video games movies books like literally anything like that you're immersing yourself in a whole different world Mm -hmm. some are just more accepted so there's a lot of value in that yep there is a lot of value in just being an accepting loving human being and it doesn't hurt you to not be mean to people Mm -hmm. for living differently than you yeah so of course As always, we're not experts, we're just fascinated. (laughs) You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear us again next week. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you have information to add to this week's topic, please email us at friendsfascinated at gmail.com to be featured at the beginning of our next episode. We can't wait to blow your mind with more curiosities next week. You've just listened to another episode of Friends Fascinated. Thanks for listening.